Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Metroscope, an Intercom Portland public affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. Joining us this time on Metroscope is Tim Novotny. He's the communications manager and assistant administrator of the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission. He works with Executive Director Hugh Link out of the Commission office in Coos Bay. Novotny served as news director at KCBY-TV in Coos Bay for 12 years. He also wrote for the World Newspaper before moving into his new career. Throughout his career, he reported extensively on the seafood industry. Among other things, he now heads the Commission's social media platforms, publishes an industry newsletter, oversees the Commission's website, as well as that of the Seafood Oregon's social media sites. Tim, thanks for being here today. Well, thank you, Preston. And uh, wow, that uh, it sounds like I'm a lot busier than I feel when you say it like that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I was when I was reading that bio, I was curious. I mean, you reported extensively on the seafood industry. Before we get going here, just to, I mean, you got to give us a story or something. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Tell us a tell us about the biggest fish you ever saw or the biggest crab you ever saw caught or something. What was it like covering the seafood industry as a reporter? Well, it was uh, it was quite something. I mean, uh, you know, when you're on the coast and and we're uh, down here in Coos Bay, our, uh, the TV station that I worked for was, uh, you know, 15 minutes uh, from the uh, Charleston port. So we were, you, you're almost on autopilot driving out there. You're down there for a variety of different, and you know, the, you're down there for the crab season. You're down there for tuna. You're down there for whiting. Uh, you're down there if uh, uh, sport season's going, and and so. Uh, uh, you're regularly on the road there, and, and uh, you know, of course, there's uh, bad weather. Anytime the storms kick up, uh, you know, we needed to get video for the bigger stations uh, uh, to see some of the big waves crashing in. Uh, we had, uh, of course, uh, this wasn't quite the fishing industry, but we had the new Carissa. That was uh, we're coming up on a 20-year anniversary of when the new Carissa ran aground near us, and uh, uh, you know, we were out there uh, covering that. Uh, for about 10 years, but uh, uh, we had things like uh, albino crab. I remember that mm. covering that, uh, uh, an all-white Dungeness crab, uh, which at the time uh, hadn't been seen in, in about 10, 15 years, and then uh, we made a big deal about it, and about two years later, there was an, another albino crab caught, so I, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we jinxed ourselves, but uh, we uh, we ended up on a run of albino crab stories, <laughs> but uh, uh, don't, I haven't seen too many since then. I'll, I'll put it that way. But uh, uh, you know, it was just always a lot of fun. Crab season itself was a big uh, story because it's a, a big part of the economy uh, for uh, not just uh, you know Charleston, but for the state. So uh, you know, uh, that was always a, a pretty big part of uh, of what I did as a news director and as a reporter was was covering the start of the season. And we did that uh, you know every December, January, whenever the season got going, we were coming out to see how the crab were looking and talking to the local fishermen, talking to the uh, the local shops. I mean, it, it, you know, it it impacts a lot. And, and as part of that, and this is a good tie-in as to how I ended up where I was, I was part of that as uh, uh, you spend a lot of time talking to uh, the Crab Commission. The Crab Commission office happened to be in Coos Bay, so I was, I was talking to uh, – 
uh, Hugh Link a lot of times. I was talking to his predecessor, Nick Furman, a lot of times, and we'd get the story cranked out, and I just found it very, you know, just eminently fascinating, the work that they did. And so we would finish the story in about 20 minutes, and, and I'd end up spending about another hour just going, uh, you know, explain this to me. Let's go into, what do you do if this happens? And mm-hmm. and uh, I always said, you know, if there was ever an opportunity uh, to switch into a different career, if there was one thing that would draw me out of journalism, I, I always thought it would be something like this kind of a job uh, where you get to advocate for for men and women you respect doing a job that, uh, that they love and, and uh, for something that, you know, uh, people rely on and people love and, and families love. And so, uh, when the opportunity came uh, recently, in the, a little over a year ago, is when I uh, joined the team. It, uh, it was really uh, I went up against some very tough competition to get this job, and, and had uh, had to go back prior to that to to brush up my education and everything to get this job. But uh, you know, it was really uh, one of the high points of my career was was being able to get the job that I had covered for so long. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the people on the coast. There's From here, uh, you get to go to all the ports and Brookings and Astoria and Garibaldi and Newport. You're, you get to meet all of the uh, the people, and they're just great salt-of-the-earth people, and, and you just have a lot of fun uh, uh, getting to, uh, to see the food come literally uh, pulled from the ocean and make its way through uh, the processing and, and making it through to the various chefs and, and how they how they make the uh, uh, the delicious uh, you know dinners or lunches uh, sometimes breakfast uh, you know Dungeness crab goes so well in a variety of different ways and it's just outstanding to uh, to see it go from the from its very beginning to uh, people enjoying it at the table and enjoying it with one another. Well, there you go. So, long story short, the albino crab is the weirdest story or one of the weirdest stories <laughs> you've ever come across. Yeah. Long story short, you're never going to get a long story yeah. too short from me. I'll tell you that. Right no, now. I appreciate it. And it's funny was we were talking before, uh, before the show. Just kind of such a small world in journalism. I mean, I worked at KVAL TV for three years as a sports guy. You worked at KCBY for over a decade as a news director, and you know we have plenty of mutual friends uh, through. Uh, through TV, and those two uh, stations are our affiliates, so it is kind of a small world. And hey, man, you're in a perfect spot for your interests when it comes to uh, the coast and also journalism. So that's awesome to to, to kind of hear your background and your story um, as we set the interview up. And we're here to talk about the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission, uh, and then crabbing season as well, and the local economics that tie in to uh, folks all, all across the state of Oregon who are listening or in southwest Washington or worldwide on MetroscopePDX.com uh, on our website if you listen to it there in podcast form. But yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission. For folks who don't know out there, uh, you can check out their website. It's OregonDungeness.org. bunch of different uh, informative tabs on there that describe their efforts. But let's hear it. Let's hear it from you. Just talk to us a little bit about the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission uh, and and what you guys do. Right. Well, this is, uh, uh, you know, a commission. It's a commodity commission that represents a, a fishing industry that's been around for over 100 years. Uh, it uh, uh, was formed back in 1977 and is funded fully by the, uh, the fishermen. So uh, basically, the uh, fishermen, uh, we have about uh, 424 uh, boats in our fleet from uh, border to border. And uh, they get charged an assessment of 1%. It's been the same 1% assessment since 1977. And uh, so 1% of uh, what they make, ex-vessel value, uh, ex-vessel, you know, what, what they make after they bring it in, uh, is uh, goes to fund the commission. And so uh, from that, uh, we have uh, uh, our commodity commission. We are 
one of uh, over 30 commodity commissions uh, in the state of Oregon that has oversight of uh, Oregon Department of Agriculture. And uh, so they appoint, uh, the uh, director of the Department of Agriculture appoints a board uh, made up of five fishermen, two processors, two representatives of processors, and one uh, public member at large, uh, our most recent public member at large, we just uh, uh, took on in July. They, uh, all of these members uh, come on uh, for three-year terms, and our most recent public member at large uh, is a uh, chef, actually. So that's kind of a, a fun thing. Uh, chef Leif Benson uh, joins us from, he had been the executive chef, chef of the uh, Timberline Lodge uh, up at Mount Hood yeah. for over 30 years. And now he yeah. uh, he serves on the Potato Commission, and he serves now on our our commission and gets to help us uh, make all uh, a bunch of different uh, uh, great uh, dinners and, and uh, uh, recipes and, and helps experiment with some of that. And he gives us a great different perspective uh, uh, from uh, the fishermen uh, and the processors. So uh, he's a great addition to the uh, the board. And the board meets at least four times a year in different ports up and down the coast, and, and they basically give the commission uh, our marching orders. And in the office we have uh, Shirley Williams, our operations manager, Hugh Link, the executive director, as you uh, mentioned in the beginning, and then myself, and, and we uh, march to whatever they ask us to do. But our primary mission is uh, to enhance the image of Oregon Dungeness crab through promotion, education, and research. So uh, that's our our major major mission. Our main goal each uh, each year is to uh, somehow um, further enhance the brand of Oregon Dungeness, and uh, we do that through uh, marketing. We do that by going to uh, different events, whether it's in the state, sometimes it's out of the state. We go to uh, shows like we'll be going soon to uh, the Portland Seafood and Wine Festival, and we'll be sharing some of the great Oregon Dungeness crab that our fishermen are harvesting right now. We'll be sharing that up there. We'll be going to the Boston uh, Seafood uh, Expo in uh, in Boston in March and uh, sharing some of uh, what we've got out there as well. So we, uh, we get around, but we also uh, do things like uh, help try to um, – uh, find different ways to enhance through research, and, uh, and we can get into that a little bit as well. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was reading on the website, and you kind of alluded to it there. The Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission's mission is to enhance the image of the Oregon Dungeness Crab industry to increase opportunities for profitability through promotion, education, and research, as you were kind of alluding to there. So tell us about the uh, the commercial Oregon Dungeness Crab fishery and what that's all about. So uh, the uh, crab fishery uh, is uh, made up of basically, uh, uh, well, we have 424 boats in the fleet, but each year uh, taking part in the season is probably a little over 300 vessels will take part. Uh, we have six major ports from Astoria to Brookings, and, uh, and the fishermen, uh, you know, they have a crew, uh, depending on the vessels, there's smaller vessels to bigger vessels, sometimes uh, as small as a two-person crew, up to um, some bigger vessels might have a four-person crew. Some of them just go out uh, and come back in on uh, quick runs. Others can stay out for a few days. But um, basically, they go out. Uh, season starts around, typically can start December 1st. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't started too close to December 1st in recent years. I think we've only made it on time one out of the last six years, I believe. Uh, and then it goes through August, uh, mid-August, about the 14th um, at midnight, I think, is when the uh, season wraps up. 
And uh, most of the catch is actually brought in in the first eight weeks of the season. About 80 to 85% of the uh, total catch is going to be caught within the first two months of the season. So uh, while it goes on until August, the predominant number of the Oregon Dungeness crab are going to be brought into the ports in that first couple of months. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, December 1st through the 14th is when the uh, ocean crab season along the Oregon coast is supposed to begin. But like you mentioned, I think you said five of the last six years, uh, the crab season's been delayed. I saw on your guys' website you released uh, you know, press release about it being delayed this year. Why, why is that? Uh, well, you know, we, uh, we do preseason testing, and we're basically looking for a couple of things. Uh, one is that we want the best possible product to hit the stores. So uh, the crab go through a series, as they grow, they go through a series of molting, and uh, they fill up with meat. When they're at their best, they're one of the meatiest crab out there, and, and that's one of the things that makes uh, Oregon Dungeness such a great crab, is that uh, you get a lot of meat when you get a two-pound crab in the store. You should have about 25% meat recovery from a, from a two-pound crab. So we want to make sure that that's the case. So we go through preseason testing, and, and uh, we go up and down uh, and test northern California up through southern Washington. Uh, the industry will do preseason testing and, and uh, will not start the season until the crab average uh, 25% for most of the coast, uh, when you get up to some uh, north of Cascade Head up near Washington, uh, it only has to be at 23%. But once you hit those limits, then you can open the season. Then we feel good that we've got a good product going to market. And uh, this year, we just had, and last year, uh, we just had some trouble with some light crab in certain parts of the coast. And uh, the big thing is, we, you know, we can't open just one port here, one port there for enforcement's sake and a lot of other reasons. We need to have a, a big stretch of coast to be able to open. We can, uh, what they, we can set a line as they as they say. We can set one line and open it all in one direction north or one direction south. And uh, we just were not able to find a line because there was always. Uh, one area that just wasn't quite ready. We were getting great test crab in, in the center part of the state around Newport and Garibaldi uh, the, and uh, even a little north of Charleston uh, was outstanding crab early on, but we were a little light down uh, in the southern part around Port Orford and we were a little light up north around the uh, southern part of Washington. So that kept us in uh, at the docks in the early part of the season as we waited for uh, a universal uh, open so that we could bring it in. Uh, another thing we look for is uh, we want to make sure that the crab are, are healthy. Uh, we have had issues with um, some warming ocean in the past few years, which has led to algae blooms. And with the algae blooms is that uh, you can get uh, this, it's called a natural occurring toxins, but called domoic acid. You've probably heard of it. People have probably heard of it. It, it's, uh, it can be harmful in big doses, and we have a preponderance of caution. We will uh, close down sections if we, set, if we get tests of domoic acid that get too high in the viscera of the crab, and the viscera is basically the guts of the crab. Most of the time, people aren't eating the guts. Uh, in fact, almost universally, most people don't like to eat the guts, and we encourage people not to eat the guts. Um, but uh, there are some people who who, di who do, and so just to make sure to take that uh, overabundance of caution, we'll 
will close things down. And so there has been a little bit of a demoic situation down around Brookings, and just uh, a little, but enough to where it's kept that area from uh, being able to be opened. Now, hopefully we're getting close to being open uh, down there as well. But uh, we were able to open the season uh, finally around uh, January 4th. Uh, we were able to start getting crab in north of uh, Charleston, and, and uh, that's what you're seeing coming into the stores right now. Okay, and then I guess the natural follow-up would be where are we this year with regards to uh, testing and potential uh, dates of, of opening for the season? So uh, we were able to, we got uh, a late start, but we were able to finally open um, uh, when we were finally got one last uh, um, port in Washington to open. That allowed us to open, a, a, to set one line. We set the line at uh, Charleston, and we opened north of Charleston. And so uh, when we did that, that allowed us to uh, open up on uh, January 4th. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, uh, a, a number of uh, uh, our fleet, a good, uh, a large portion of our fleet, was able to start to go out and start to uh, to fish. Uh, south of Charleston remained closed for two reasons, and one was in Brookings, where uh, they were still having some uh, demoic acid concerns. Uh, Port Orford uh, remained closed because they had light crab. So. We continued to test in those two areas, and we uh, are looking right now as a possibility we can get something opened uh, uh, around February 1st is the latest, where we're going to continue to test and and, uh, uh, see what we can do for that. We added a new tool uh, to our uh, management system last year, which was being able to give the fishermen the opportunity to fish under an order of evisceration. and that means they, if they want, they can say, we'll go out in an area like Brookings and fish uh, with the understanding that we can't sell those crab as whole cooks or as uh, live crab. We can only sell them if they've been eviscerated by the processors, or they, we can only sell them in sections or clusters where the guts are already removed. And so um, there's an option after uh, uh January 15th, because after January 15th, uh, it doesn't matter anymore what the weight of the crab is. That's the what they have uh, in their protocol for a drop-dead date. If they want, they can open up. So uh, Port Orford's clear to go, but they're next to Brookings, so they're staying in for right now and, and uh, targeting uh, February 1st as an opportunity to uh, potentially start the season. But We'll have to uh, keep a close eye on how they uh, how the next couple of uh, weeks goes. Uh, they're also looking at Northern California, which is not opened yet as well, uh, also for light crab and also for some issues of uh, demoic acid. So uh, they're, they've had some clean tests. If they have another clean round of tests, uh, we'll see if they open, and, and if they do, uh, we'll see if Brookings and Port Orford follow suit. So uh, we're, we're, it's an exciting time of year. Uh, and we're almost we're on the doorstep of having a full coastal uh, opening, and and that of course would make everybody very happy. So okay, well you definitely know, man. You know you know everything about every location. It it seems like this is Tim Novotny joining us uh, on Metroscope PDX here. He's the uh, communications manager over at Oregon's Dungeness Crab Commission. Um, let's talk about the local economic impact of this, if we could. Uh, that I know our 
Portland and Southwest Washington listeners uh, are probably interested in. I, I was there are a number of different statistics available on on the OregonDungeness.org website. Um, just looking at the fishery tab there, uh, one of the nuggets is in the most recent ten year period, the to the boat value ranged from five million to fifty one million dollars, and the Dungeness crab fishery usually is the most valuable single species fishery in Oregon. So can you kind of just elaborate on the uh, the economic impact of the fishery? Yeah, and I actually, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. I got to get off the the stick and correct that because uh, we've actually surpassed the 51 million uh, twice now in uh, the last two years. So wow. uh, I've got to correct that. Um, yeah, we we set uh, back to back records over the last two years with our ex vessel value um, brought in uh, about 62 million uh, two seasons ago, and then last season uh, we brought in uh, 74 million ex vessel value to the state. Uh, we were nowhere near the highest uh, amount of crab landed. We brought in uh, a little over 23 million pounds of crab for the season, which is over the uh, 10-year average. Uh, about the 10-year average is about 16 million pounds of crab. It's a cyclical fishery, so we kind of go up and down. There's uh, times where we'll have a real low output, and then there's times where we'll have really big output. A lot of crab get brought in, and and uh, nobody's been able at this point to really put a, a, a good uh, kind of uh, predictability scale together to find out what year is going to be good and what year is going to be bad. So you kind of just you don't know till you, you get the boats out on the water and start pulling crab and find out what the year is going to be like. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what's been outstanding is that the value of the crab has been going up. So, uh, you know, like I said, last year we brought in 23 million pounds, uh, which... Uh, hadn't been done in about nine years, so it was still a very good year poundage-wise. But uh, the amount, uh, dollar amount brought in of $74 million was uh, $12 million more than the record set the year before, uh, which was just outstanding. And so what you know, that means for the state, uh, we use a, 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 multip- a multiplier model, uh, basically times two. That's kind of on a conservative side, but we, we figure for... Uh, 74 million. You figure that's about 150 million of uh, uh, money infused into the Oregon economy. So uh, that means a lot to the state. It means uh, even more to the uh, coastal economies because a lot of that money stays. Uh, well, a lot of it stays in the state, but a lot of it, uh, a big portion of that, will stay in those coastal economies: Astoria, Newport, Charles. I mean, places uh-huh. where they need that. There's not a lot of other industry around there to help um, fill the void if something goes wrong. So, uh, you know, or if you have a down year. So, to have that kind of money come in is a is a big boon for for those coastal economies. And and so something like a, a season of 62 million or a season like 74 million is just outstanding and means a, a tremendous amount not just for the fishermen but you know you figure out all the the places that sell supplies to the fishermen or the restaurants where the fishermen now have a little more money that they can take their families out to eat or uh you know more people you know know about it they come in they can go do some shopping and and so it's it's just a real big uh uh boost to uh to these villages that can be uh uh, face some hard times when it's a lean year. Tim, thanks a lot, man. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like to hit on about uh, your business or uh, the industry in, in general, or have we pretty much covered it? 
We covered a lot of it. I mean, you could talk, I could talk for forever. Uh, you know, the big thing is we want people to know that we've got great men and women working uh, in the Oregon Dungeness crab fishery. They're working uh, at, in a job that they love. Uh, it, it can be a difficult job, but they love to do it, and they, they do it for uh, their communities. They do it for the people who uh, love Oregon Dungeness, and they do it sustainably. Uh, they they there are a lot of uh, safeguards in there to make sure uh, we can go into that, or you can check it out on our webpage, OregonDungeness.org. But uh, there's a lot of safeguards in there to make sure they want to make sure that this fishery, as it's been around for over 100 years, a lot of them, their uh, their dads got them into it or their granddads got them into it, and they want their children, their grandchildren to, to grow into it. So uh, this is something they take a, a great pride in, uh, doing it and doing it right. And uh, they continue to look for new ways to do it uh, the best possible way they can and and uh, hope that you guys uh, will uh, support them by going out and, and buying Oregon Dungeness and, and trying it however you want, you want to try it, but uh, give it a try. It's a great tasting uh, dinner. It's a, a fantastic healthy uh, alternative for you. Uh, and now's the time to do it. Uh, beginning of the season, it's the best prices, and you'll have a better chance of finding it out there, Oregon Dungeness. Cool. All right, Tim. Well, thanks for your time, and uh, best of luck to uh, everyone out on the coast this season. Hope you guys break another record this year with uh, pulling in those crabs. And, yeah, thanks for coming on. Preston, thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about Oregon Dungeness crab, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, get down here. We'll talk sports, and we'll set you up with some dungeons. We were talking today with Tim Novotny, Communications Manager for Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission. Metroscope is an Intercom Portland Public Affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. If you're involved with a nonprofit or public affairs organization, or if you have an idea for an upcoming show, I'd like to hear from you. Visit MetroscopePDX.com and submit your ideas. You can also go to this station's website and submit your information there. Thanks for listening to Metroscope and enjoy the rest of your weekend.